Recently, we got a new laptop, and getting rid of the old one, we had to clean it up and, and, and get it ready, get it ready to, to move on to its next life, and it meant sorting through the thousands of pictures and videos that we had on it. And a lot of them came, the file's called Entwistle Old PC, which means it's from the computer before this laptop, from, you know, 12 years ago. And uh, we're sorting through these pictures, and Jess and I, we'd had a rough week, and we just sat on the back porch just looking at pictures and reminiscing and crying and laughing and just remembering the funny times, the hard times, the good times. And one of the videos that we found was of me and uh, Jimmy and Owen, my two sons, um, who are both bigger than me now and stronger than me, and it, it wouldn't happen like this now. But in a video, when they were four and two about, we were wrestling. And you know, as a parent or someone who's bigger, when you wrestle with people who are smaller, you're limiting yourself the whole time to not just destroy them, right? Unless you're some kind of like psycho. Uh, and in this video, I'm wrestling with them and they're laughing and giggling and I'm like you know, throwing them across the room onto the couch and they're bouncing off and laughing and running into each other and jumping on me. And eventually I grab this kind of long couch pillow and I slide it across the floor under Owen's feet and he just goes poof and just <laughs> smacks the ground. And he gets up and he just runs towards the camera like, Ooh, you know, it's like, and the video stops. Like... <laughs> But it was, it, was, it was funny to look back on and remember when I used to be bigger and stronger than them. Um, today, we're going to be talking uh, about a famous story, for, maybe some of you know it, uh, in the Old Testament, of Jacob wrestling with God, wrestling with the angel of the Lord, wrestling with seeming, seems to be, God himself. Uh, it's a totally bizarre story. We've been covering the patriarchs so far through this series called Gospel Family Tree, looking at why Matthew decides to include all of these people as he starts telling the story of Jesus, why he includes people like Abraham. Why does it matter that Abraham is part of Jesus' family tree and therefore part of our family tree? He's our, like we are spiritual ancestors of old father Abraham. And his son, Isaac, who we covered last week, who's the, the willing sacrifice, the, the, the chosen promised son. And today we get to Jacob. Uh, Matthew says, you know, Jesus comes from this long line. Abraham, who had Isaac. Isaac, who had Jacob. And, and, and if you read the Old Testament and you read the Psalms and you see these stories, you see that regularly these three guys are put together. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Israel, whose God is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's always these three. And so today we kind of round out this trifecta by talking about this guy, Jacob, who wrestled with God. It's a bizarre story. What's, what, I, what I want to sort of bring out in all of this is, is really just God's persistent grace in the midst of a broken person's life to bring about his promised blessings, to bring about what he said he was going to do all those years before in Abraham and Isaac and now through Jacob. And he's going to bring about a new redemptive people, the people of Israel. And Jacob's story, you might look at it and think, man, it's not really like my story, but I would argue that it kind of is, that Jacob is a person with immense family baggage, a lot of which he caused or was always in the middle of. Brokenness, estrangement, he's a liar, he's a cheater, 
He's been lied to, he's been cheated, he's been deceived, he's been let down, he's been disappointed, he's been fearful, he's a schemer. He's trying to make his best life now. Maybe you can grab onto some of that for your life, right? Like, like we are similar to him, I think, in this way. But rather than going to the Old Testament saying, man, I need to be like Jacob, we look at this and I said, like, thank God he's gracious. <laughs> Hopefully we see some of that today. So to get to this story, though, of wrestling, of God wrestling with, with Jacob, I have to, like, give you the lead up to it. It's hard to just jump in right at Jacob's wrestling with God because it's really the big thing in his life after a series of events that lead up to it that I think the, the writer of the scriptures wants us to see and understand who he is and why this wrestling is such a big deal. So going back to last week, you remember you have Isaac. Isaac's this chosen son of, of Abraham and, and like his father and mother, his wife is barren and she can't have children. And, and Isaac prays to God and says, would you, would you please open up her womb? Give her children someday. And she doesn't end up being pregnant with one child. She ends up pregnant with twins. She has these, these twins fighting inside of her. It says that they're, they're wrestling inside of her womb. And she goes to God and she's like, what is going on? Maybe if you're a mom, you've asked that same question to God. Like, what is happening in here? What is going on? And, and God speaks to her in some kind of way and says, these two are wrestling inside of you, and the older is going to serve the younger, which goes against the culture, because the younger is supposed to serve the older. And he's saying, this is what's going to happen. The older is going to serve the younger, and the first baby boy that uh, is born is, is Esau. He's this hairy little baby, apparently, and he's, he's tough, and he's strong, and, and, and out after him comes Jacob holding onto his heel holding onto his foot, and they're born back to back, but Jacob's the younger, Esau's the older one. And the text tells us that Esau goes on to be this hunter, this outdoorsman, and his father loves him for it. His father loves the taste of the, the wild game that he brings home. It says that Jacob is a tent dweller. It doesn't sound, I don't know what they mean by that, but it doesn't, I mean, I know what they mean by it, but it doesn't sound great. It's like, this guy's tough. He goes outside and does hunty stuff. This guy doesn't get his hands dirty. He just stays in the tent. And if you want to, to me, this is the way I picture it. Like tough, blue collar, dirty hands, you know, ready to take on the world. And, and, and Jacob, who's the mama's boy, literally at home, staying in the tent. But it's clear from his name and from what you start to see in his life, that he's intelligent. And it's not to say that Esau is not, but Jacob is intelligent. I mean, his name, uh, other than meaning heel grabber, there's lots of different variations of it from the Hebrew words that are involved in his name. But it's supplanter, deceiver, schemer, conniver. All this is wrapped up in this tent-dwelling mama's boy, Jacob. And one day, Jacob, as they get older, Jacob's home with mom, I think, probably making some stew of some sort, maybe vegetable because he couldn't get his own game. I don't know. He's making some stew, and his brother comes in from the field and says, give me some of that stew. I'm starving. And the, and the story really embellishes it. Like, I don't know if it actually happened in this exact, like, truncated way, but it seems that Esau comes in, and he's like, give me some of that stew. And Isaac's like, give me your birthright, meaning put me in charge of the family. 
Let me, be, let me have the rights of the firstborn son. And Esau maybe flippantly is like, sure, yeah, whatever. Just give me the stew. And he sells him his birthright. Well, there's a lot more happening that we see that Jacob is usurping. He's taking what isn't rightfully his. And he steals this right to be first in the family. And then Isaac, years later, their dad, Isaac, is old and he's blind, it seems, and, he's, and he knows that he's coming to the end of his life. And he calls for Esau, his older son, his favorite son. He calls for Esau and he says, come to me, I want to bless you. He's going to speak prophetically over him and put, put a blessing on him that in the future his family is going to be great and they're going to have land and they're going to be strong. And Isaac's wife knows that this is happening. She's like, yeah, but I want that for Jacob. So she tells Jacob, your father asked Esau to bring him some wild game, but while he's out getting the wild game, you go in. You act like Esau. You go in and get the blessing. And so while Esau's out in the field doing his thing to make dad proud, getting ready to go in for the blessing, Jacob's mom makes some stew with some goats from the flock, and Jacob brings it in, fooling old blind Isaac. Jacob tells his mother, my brother's really hairy. It's a weird part of the story. He's really hairy. I can't go in there. Dad's going to like touch my hand or my arm or my knee. He's going to know it's me. And he must have been really hairy because she gets, some, she gets some fur or some wool from the sheep, puts it on him. Must have been very blind. Really hairy guy. Jacob goes in and what's fascinating though, three times in this event, Jacob going in to steal the blessing from Esau. Isaac, sa Isaac says to his son, who are you? Are you, my, are you Esau? Jacob, yeah, yeah, I'm Esau. I'm your older son. You, how did you get the game so quick? Oh, I got it, I got it for you. God blessed me. I got it. He says, really, it's you? yeah. Yeah, it's me. Three times, Isaac says, come closer. Come closer. Come closer. Can you imagine the tension that Jacob's feeling? Come closer so I can touch you. Eventually, he smells him. Esau must have smelled bad, too, because he's like, yep, you smell like him. Three times, he's asked who he is. Three times, he lies. Three times, he's drawn closer in to, to look into the face of his blind father. And Isaac falls for it, lays his hands on him, and blesses Jacob. So now you see it starts to happen that the older is going to serve the younger. Because now this man, Jacob, has the blessing of his father on him. Prophetically, he's speaking great things over his life that we see do come to pass. Esau comes home, finds out about this, and goes into a murderous rage. Says, I'm going to kill him. He's been doing this to me all these years, and now he steals, first he steals my birthright, now he steals my blessing. He's a dead man. And Jacob's mother hears about this and says, you better get out of here. You better run. He got in one little fight, and his mom got scared. Sent him to his uncle, not in Bel Air, he sends him to his uncle Laban. Sends him off to his Uncle Laban and says, you need to run to your Uncle Laban's house because Esau's going to kill you. Go off there for a few days. 
and let him cool off. Run off to your uncle Laban. And what we see, I, I believe this is bookended here in the story for a reason. He leaves in the dark at sunset, flees to Laban, running off to find shelter from his murderous brother, who rightly deserves to kill him. I mean, like, Jacob is a snake and stole this thing from him. And as he goes, along the way, God speaks to him. I want to read a portion of this story. As he's falling asleep in the dark, look here what happens. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. Remember this, it's dark. He's leaving in the dark. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky and God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. You hear, this is what he told Abraham. This is what he told Isaac. There's gonna be a blessing and a family and a nation that comes out of you, Jacob. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. Remember that. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here you have God promising this scoundrel, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing through you. What I told Abraham and Isaac I'm going to do, I'm going to do it through you. You are going to be a blessing to the nations, and you're leaving here now, but someday you will come back to this promised land where you're lying. And so he goes to Uncle Laban's house. He gets there, or on the way, rather. He, he comes across a group of Shepherds who were lining up at a well, getting ready to water their sheep for the day. And while they're there waiting, this beautiful woman starts approaching them. Now, at this point, Jacob is old enough that he's looking for a wife. His, his mother's already told him, go get a wife from uh, Laban's family, get somebody from like our clan Get somebody, get, get a woman from our clan. And he meets this woman, Rachel, and she's, she's beautiful to him. And he does this thing, and it seems weird, and I, but I, to me, it's connected. While they're all standing around at the well, they're like, no, 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 just wait. It takes a couple guys to move the stone off the well so we can water the sheep. Jacob's like, no, 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 I got it. Rachel's here. And he rolls the stone off of the well. He wrestles it, right, off of the well. Taking, his, taking matters into his own hands, I'm going to impress this woman. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to show these guys that I'm tough. Here I am. Look at me. I'm great. Schemes his way into this thing, and he rolls this thing off of the well. And they go back to Laban's family, and he's like, I want to marry her. And Laban says, okay, you can work for me for seven years, and then she can be your bride. But now what we start to see in this story is that the deceiver is being deceived. Jacob the conniver, the schemer, Laban is now working a scheme against him. 
And he works for seven years for Rachel, and then, again, I don't know if he's got eyesight problems like his dad. I'm not quite sure what happens, but he goes and sleeps with this woman that night. Maybe he was drinking too much. It's dark. I don't know. Bedouin tents. I have no idea. But he doesn't know that it's not Rachel. He sleeps with this woman who is not Rachel, the one he had been waiting for. And he gets up in the morning, and now he can see her face. And he's furious. He's been deceived. Now he's obligated to her, not to the one that he actually loved. And he goes to Laban, and Laban's like, okay, okay, okay. It wouldn't be right for me to give you her first. I'd give you her sister. You can have Rachel. You ain't got to work another seven years. Long story short, walks another, works another seven years. And he marries Rachel. Now he's got two wives, and they both come with handmaidens. There's so much to talk about in that alone, all right? We'll, like, we can talk afterwards if you want to. Now, four women in this man's life. Goes on after this to work six years as a shepherd for Laban. Slowly building up his own flocks. By the time this story concludes, he has 11 sons through these women. One of whom is Joseph, who you read about in the Exodus. It gets to a point where he's becoming so strong and wealthy that Laban starts to hate him. And he hates Laban because they've been deceiving each other. You see the family pattern here? It's just, they're all just weasels, like just against each other. No one really loves or cares for one another. And the brokenness that he ran away from all those years ago with Esau is happening just all over again with Laban. Only this time he's also on the receiving end. And it gets really ugly, and there's a verse that stood out to me where he says, Jacob could see in Laban's face that his attitude was not the same as it used to be, meaning things have changed. His face, his countenance has changed towards me, and now I'm fearful. I better take matters into my own hand and get the heck out of Dodge. I'm going back to my promised land. I do feel like God told me something about that at one point. I'm going to go home. And so rather than being a few days, it's been 20 years since he's been home. But he says, I'm getting out of here. I'm making a plan. And, and he works, works out this deal with Laban where they decide, okay, they basically make a pact. We won't kill each other. Just go. But in the meantime, Jacob is scheming and he's making his flocks bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's getting wealthier and wealthier and more kids and bigger and bigger until Laban's finally like, just get out. And he leaves. And he goes back towards the promised land. Now, I don't know if Jacob decides at this point to be an upstanding person. I don't think so. Or if he knew that coming back into the promised land meant he was going to see his brother. But he decides, I'm going to have to reach out to Esau. It's been 20 years. Last time I saw him, he wanted to murder me. And he's scared of Esau's countenance as well now. So he starts scheming about how he's going to get back into the promised land that God told him he could have and deal with his brother who wants to murder him. And so he sends an envoy to Esau on his behalf and says, tell my brother I've got all these family members and sheep and flocks and wealth and I'm coming home. I want to see him. Esau's response is to send 400 men to confront Jacob. I don't think it was like a welcoming party. 
I don't. It's just not how I read it. Like, I think Esau is like out to get him. That doesn't say that, but that's my interpretation of the situation. So Jacob finds out that Esau's coming with 400 men, and he's like, oh, no. Now I'm in trouble. I better come up with a plan. I better scheme my way out of this situation like I have everything else in my life. I'm smart. I can do it. But what he does first, finally, is he prays. Finally, he bows the knee a little bit and says, I'm in over my head. God, help me. You told me that you were going to do this thing. Please help me and meet me in my time of need. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look to Genesis 32 at verse 9. This is what Jacob says to God. God of my father. Now, like, I love, he, like, goes King James here. God of my father Abraham. And, like, but he's claiming the promise, right? God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, now he's using God's words against him, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over the Jordan with only my staff, and now I become two camps, because he had separated them out of fear of Esau. Please rescue me from my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers, and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, too numerous to be counted. He spent the night there and took part of what he had brought with him as a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 uh, ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their young, 40 cows, 10, it's 550 animals. Gets all this together, and he, now he's scheming. He prayed. Now he's back to like, I'm going to work a plan. I, 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 I prayed. I'm asking God to help me. Now I better come up with a solution. And he goes on the, the, like the diplomacy route. He entrusted them to his slaves as separate herds and said to them, Go on ahead of me and leave some distance between uh, the herds. And he told the first one, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he is behind us. He also told the second one, the third, and everyone who was walking behind the animals, say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You were also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. For he thought, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. So the gift was sent on ahead of him while he remained in the camp that night. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a river. He took them and sent them across the stream along with his possessions. Tammy, can you go back to verse 20? He says, you're also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us, for he thought. In Hebrew, the word face appears four times in this verse. I want to appease Esau. He basically says, I want to change his face towards me. I'm in a bad way. I want to change his face towards me with the gift that is going ahead of my face, going ahead of me. After that, I can face him. Four different ways it shows up in this verse. Jacob, 
who feared Esau's face all those years ago, who feared Laban's face, who hid his face from his father's face, who couldn't see his wife's face in the tent, is now, again, it's culminating here in this thing of like, I, I'm scared to see his face. May if I do this thing, if I scheme this way, then I can change him. Then I can make it better for myself. And rightly so, he should be afraid. All of that (laughs) is lead up to what is, to me, like the event in Jacob's life. God has been gracious to him through all of his misgivings, through all of his cheating, conniving, lying, running all over the place, all these things. And God shows up and wrestles him in the midst of this moment, of him so fearful of his brother coming to attack him. Robert Alter uh, has a translation of the Old Testament that I read sometimes just to sort of, I don't know, grab another view of things. And he says this, the image of wrestling has been implicit throughout the Jacob story. In his grabbing Esau's heel as he emerges from the womb, in his striving with Esau for birthright and blessing, in his rolling away the huge stone from the mouth of the well, and in his multiple contendings with Laban. Now in this culminating moment of his life story, the characterizing image of wrestling is made explicit and literal. He's saying this guy has been wrestling his whole life, trying to get his way, and now God says, I'm going to wrestle you. Has that ever happened to you? (laughs) So look at this with me. So he sends all these people off, sends his family off to another side to be safe, and he stays alone. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. You have the bookend now. He leaves in the dark at sunset, and now he wrestles with this guy till sunrise. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled. Struck is a poor translation. It's like he, he touches him in such a way that it's like, boom, like dislocates his hip. Dislocates the, the socket of his, of his leg. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. Scholars think that, I mean, we, we're reading, I'm telling you this ahead of time, but scholars think that God's basically saying, you better not see me in the daylight or you're dead. Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. How Jacob is that? I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob. Deceiver. Heel grabber, conniver. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you even ask me my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel, for I've seen God face, like now he gets it. I have seen God face to 
face. He said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Penuel, which is just another spelling, limping because of his hip. That is why still today the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. People reading Matthew 1.1, the story of Jesus, they would know all of this. <laughs> all of this stuff would come to the forefront for them when they're reading that Jesus descends from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is why their meals are still different because of this event. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming toward him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two slave women. He put the slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead. Now he's no longer at the back. Now he's decided to be at the front. He went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him, and they wept. Sidebar item, scholars think Jesus is taking some of this language in the prodigal son story. The father is hugging him, weeping over him. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he asked, who are these with you? Jacob answered, the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. Everyone's submissive, right? So Esau said, what do you mean by this procession I met? Like, what is the deal with all the stuff that you sent out? He said, to find favor with you, my Lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother. Can you imagine hearing those words? 20 years later, all the estrangement. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. But Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from me, for indeed I have seen your face. <laughs> and it's like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. Please take my present that was brought to you because God has been gracious to me and I have everything I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. Jacob was promised blessing, but he fought his whole life to bless himself. Worked so hard, culminating in this last ditch effort to, to placate Esau, to, to appease his face and make sure that everything is going to be okay. And instead, God shows up and sees him face to face and says, I'm going to wrestle with you now. Cut all this other stuff out. Look at me. I am going to wrestle with you. And Jacob comes face to face with God and says, bless me. I can't let you go. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God says, at sunrise, a new day dawning, I will give you a new name. Israel. It's poetic. It's, it's beautiful. This new day is dawning in his life. And I firmly believe that Esau, his heart is changed by God somehow in that journey. That he's going there to, to fight his brother. And I, again, text doesn't say it. Read it how you like. But to me, it's like, what else could have happened there? I think God changes Esau's heart to protect Jacob and his blessed family. Friends, we have a wrestling God. God did not need to wrestle him, but he chose to. Think about that. God chooses to engage him in this way. And God could have easily prevailed. Think about 
me fighting, wrestling, tossing around my sons at four and two. I could easily win. I mean, God has already injured his hip, right? Like if he could do that with just a... But he chooses to limit himself and engage Jacob in this battle, this this wrestling match. And so my question is, Jacob's name becomes, you know, because you've wrestled God and man and prevailed, like, who really prevailed? Who really submitted? And isn't that life with God? (laughs) This, This wrestling that we do with God, it's like, he strangely limits himself in wrestling with me, and I'm submitting to him, and just fascinating, this thing that's going on. But to me, the, the, the why of this is what matters. Why does God do this? Why does God engage him in this way? Why, after all these years, does God wrestle him in the middle of the night before this major event with his brother? I would argue to humble him and to bring about surrender in Jacob's life. He humbles him. He, he wounds him, right? I mean, like, it happens. He wounds Jacob. And Jacob's going to now go through life limping, weakened. Can you imagine what Esau saw as Jacob is limping his way there? Like, I fought with God last night, this thing. I, you know, like, it's there with him for the rest of his life. He's been, been humbled But at a deeper spiritual, emotional level, he's also finally surrendered and said, okay, okay. God asks him his name. Who are you? (laughs) Back to Isaac. Isaac says, who are you? And he lies. And here God asks him, who are you? And he has to say, he has to face it. His like his own name. I'm Jacob, the heel grabber, the conniver, the deceiver, the trickster, the crooked one. And he's surrendering. I, I believe it's an act of confession of a sort, whether he realized what he was saying or not. His heart is finally surrendering and saying, "I'm a mess." And this blessed leader of God is humbled to trust, to depend on God. Surrendering his will to to follow God. Imperfectly, yes. But finally submitting in his heart. Because here's the thing, friends, and this, this is true for you and me. If he's not surrendered, if he isn't humbled, he goes through this thing with Esau, and if it works, he thinks, I'm good. I did the thing. Look at me, I'm back in the promised land. I got us here. And God says, no, 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 no. This has always been about my glory. Humbles him. Brings him to a point of surrender. But isn't that point of surrender also freedom for Jacob? (sighs) New name. New name. I confess. I'm the broken, messed up one. And he learns to walk with God in blessing. That it all comes from God. It's all from God. It's all for God's glory. And he goes and he meets Esau. And and what happens is out of this this humbled, surrendered leader, this new family comes about, the people of 
Israel. Jacob becomes these 12 tribes, these, these 12 sons, these, this nation, this, this people. And it's interesting that the rest of Scripture see that sometimes the name Jacob is used, sometimes the name Israel is used, and I think in some ways they were physical descendants of Jacob, and they're spiritual descendants of Israel, and they're all in it together. They're all people who wrestle with God. They're all this, this group of Israel. And the problem is, Israel fails at this too, just like Jacob did. And they try to scheme for themselves, connive, make life good for themselves and are selfish and only think of themselves. And they are broken people. And so what we find in Israel is true for our lives as well, that we need a rescuer. There needed to be a better Abraham. There needed to be a better Isaac. There needed to be a better Jacob, a better Israel, the true Israel, which is why Matthew is telling us this in Matthew 1, that the true Israel has finally come, that Jesus is the blessed, limping, wounded leader who through his Death and resurrection brings about a new people. It's no coincidence that Jesus picks 12 disciples to represent the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and he's constituting them around himself and says, I'm the better Jacob. I'm the one who's actually going to be surrendered to the will of the Father and do good to live out this life of blessing, and I'm making a new family. And we see that Jesus lives this out being the better Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way to the point of what? Being murdered for it. But before that happens, what does he do? He wrestles with God in the dark. Wrestling with the Father in the garden, in the, in the dark night of the soul, right? Like just emptied, arguing with God, struggling with God, saying, do I really have to do this? And he submits to the Father and says, I'll do it. I will do it. And he goes to the cross, wounded for our transgressions, broken for us, right? More than just a limp, loses his life to honor the Father. Resurrected, bearing the scars of the wrestling match on his hands and in his feet. And in his resurrection, we all get to become his inheritance. And he is alive forever, and he is our inheritance. And the promised land and the provision and the presence of God that were meant to be for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the true Israel are now all in Jesus. And he says, they're yours in me. Come to me. Surrender. Be humbled. Come to me. Come and find full life in me. Stop scheming and conniving and planning and doing all these things and strategizing on how to get your blessings. Come to me. Come find it in the resurrected Jesus. On the cross, he says, it's finished. <laughs> no more scheming. No more strategizing. No more planning how to get out of this. And we're trying to figure out how to get it. It's done. It's all in me. Come find your inheritance in Jesus. And it's his grace, it's God's grace that overcomes all of our sins, all of our baggage, all of our brokenness, all those things that we did, all the estrangement, all of the, the, the garbage in our past 
He says, forgiven, done, over, in Christ, in his atonement on the cross. So what it means is that in him, we get to face those things, friends. We don't need to be afraid. Can I tell you the piece of that? We don't need to be afraid of our background anymore. We don't need to be afraid of those skeletons in the closet. We say, I'm Jacob. (laughs) That's who I am. Deceiver, cheater, broken. It's all back there. Here it is. And be given a new name. To be called sons and daughters of God. In him, we can stop scheming and struggling and trying to get all of our blessings out of this life and say it's in Jesus. It's in walking with him. In him, friends, it means that we are not tribal and saying it's all about my family, my family, my family. It's in one family. It's the family of God, the true people of God in Jesus. And so, I want to ask you a couple questions. How are you striving... (laughs) How are you striving to make a name for yourself? To secure blessing in this life? What are you wrestling with? Who are you wrestling with? Why? What are you stressing about every day? Who are you afraid of? Who are you afraid to face? What are you afraid to face because of your sins? Because of your brokenness? Whose face can you not look at honestly out of fear, out of shame? Are you spending time wrestling with God? I don't say that out of guilt. I say wrestle with him. Find a new name. Wrestle with them. Submit. Wrestle with them. Surrender. Allow him to ask you who you are and say, here's who I really am. Confess and find new life in him, refusing to let him go. Are you limping through life? Are are people able to see that? I would argue that Christians are a humbled people, that we are a humbled people, whose limp is evident. And we're saying, well, yeah, we're broken, but I'm still walking. But now I'm in the blessing of Jesus. Now I walk in full life because of him, because of what he did for me. Would you join the community of the limping, <laughs> of the surrendered? Would you repent, confess, and say, man, I'm broken, I need you. I need you, I need you. I'm done scheming. I'm done trying to figure out. I'm done trying to make myself righteous. I'm done trying to find all the blessing. Jesus, it's only in you. Give it to me. And he says, sure, here. The free gift of grace. Walk with Jesus. Find blessing in him, friends, not in yourself. Be willing to wrestle with God and surrender and confess. And be part of a church community, a family that walks around limping together, speaking the truth to one another of who we are because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, the better Jacob. Let's pray.